This podcast is brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hi, this is Mark Seymour, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast. Mark Jeremy Seymour, not from Seymour, but from Benella, Aussie muso, vocalist, songwriter, author, and teacher. 17 years frontman of Hunters and Collectors, and now he looks after his own solo career with his own very great band, I must add, Mark Seymour and The Undertow. Mark Seymour, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, mate. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, mate, it's great to have you. I've been uh, wanting to speak to you for ages and ages and ages. I've followed your career with interest, and, mate, you just keep getting better every time I listen to you. I listened to uh, the album last night, Slow Dawn. Man, congratulations. That is one hell of an album. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's sort of sneaked up on me, really, as many things have had in the last few years, and not excluding COVID-19. But, uh, yeah, that album came about through a series of accidents, really. we I mean, I've had a fairly consistent – I've got a very strong bunch of guys around me who are very, very good musicians, and um, and even that kind of co- – this sort of I gathered them very gradually over the years and, um, you know, post-signs and collectors. And mm, mm, exceptional. I kind of never really had a plan uh, as such. I mean, I've always it's always based mm. on um, just staying – focused on writing songs that's nothing it never changes i'm constantly sort of nibbling at that but i think that album just was a beautiful set of coincidences and there was this moment in the studio in i'd nick the deer studio in uh, byron bay and uh, just listening to one of the songs it's funny he he kind of mixes in this really awkward Mm. position in the studio everything's kind of live and there's no sort of isolation and you know he's just leaning into his laptop screen and i'm listening to it i mean gee, that actually sounds really good. <laughs> you know, and, and suddenly dawned on me, actually, we've got a really good record here. And, you know, yeah. and there's just, that's the thing about albums. It's, you know, you can just have all the pieces in place and just, you know, people just, you know, planting their parts down and suddenly realise you've just got this wealth of creativity that you're completely immersed in. And, I, and mm, mm. you know, it just ended up, um, I mean, I could sort of pin down the specific things that are different about it, but, uh, there's kind of something really mysterious about making records that um, never seems to go away for me, and I, I just keeps me constantly fascinated. You know how to how to conjure that magic at some point, and you know next, you know I'm sort of nibbling away at songs now, and uh, for my next record, and mm. you know I've just got to park the fact that slow dawn kind of happened, and it's like, wow, just like, am I going to go any better than that or not? You know, I don't really know. It's it's quite mysterious well it's very crisp and clean and uh, a good rock and roll album 11 in- incredible tracks all standalone tracks if you if you listen to them they're all great songs yeah well that's a real that's the bit that i can i can actually grip and get my teeth into well well and truly in advance i mean i, I know i went into the studio Huh. I remember going up there for a go-see with Nick just to yeah. see whether or not we were going to actually like each other. <laughs> like a couple of weeks before the, the time was booked, and you know, which was a really useful mm. thing to do. And, and I had all the lyrics printed. You know, They were all done. Everything was tidy. And <laughs> I just put the lyrics out on the tabletop, and yeah. he goes, hey, man, I, no one ever does this, you know, <laughs> which is really sweet. You know, like, And I think that's the bit. That, I think that probably counts for a lot. I mean, I didn't really write didn't think at the time, oh, this is really important, but I did actually, hmm. just for my own peace of mind, I, I had everything, as much as I could control, locked away in advance. So, And the lyrics are, you know, obviously the bit that I do, um, I focus on right from get-go and 
I had all that done. So all the stories were there. So, and I mean, you know, things change when you make records and people, that's the beauty of having a good band. I mean, it's, you know, people kind of twist and bend and shape their parts and, you know, there's a lot of kind of toing and froing in the rehearsal rooms and things do change, but my lyrics were there right from the get go. So the stories don't, you know, something that the story is what you hang your hat on, you know. I suppose yeah. Is the best way yeah. To put it. I actually saw on YouTube the other night uh, Kenny Rogers in concert. Oh, yeah. I realised that every song he sang is a story. Yeah. And it's kind of like country music, and now rock is getting into that as well. I, I think it's fabulous. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. You know, just reminding yourself of the fundamentals, because people, you know, as a mate of mine, like a guy here, the writer Chuck Jenkins said to me once, he said, mate, you just got to have a good opening line. <laughs> <laughs> and it just goes from there. And I, go, and I really believe in that. You know, like if you're stepping up, even if the band's not there. and Yeah. You know, you've got a bunch of people in a wine bar or whatever, and you just go up to the microphone and grab them, play the opening chords, and then say the first set of words. Mm. You've got to have them then. Yeah, I really reckon you've got to have people then, and like, oh, that's they, you get their attention and you hold their attention, and that's that's the game, really. Keep you know? the uh, noise level of the crowd down by hitting them <laughs> between the ears with a good lyric right up the front. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mark, uh, your younger brother, of course, is Nick Seymour, bassist with Crowded House. Uh, the boys have done pretty well with their careers, haven't they? Yeah, uh, I'm a huge admirer. And in fact, this the, the, the latest incarnation of that name, Crowded House, hmm. that he's got, you know, Neil's got his two of his sons in the group. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, it's amazing how good they are now. It's it's like this big ensemble and it's, it's changed and evolved really well, you know. I was at their very first gig. A rec- the record company put it on in a in a house in St Vincent's Place in um, in, oh, that's Sa- right. in yeah. Albert Park. Remember yeah, that? Think... Were you there that night? Uh, no, but I think my brother might have come back to. He was staying with me at the time actually, and he was gushing about that. You know? Yeah, no, that was a that was a big night. Yeah. Loved it. and and you could see right from the get go, you know, that they had something. It was just brilliant. Yeah, it's now, enthusiasm. I think it's got a lot to do with it, you know. Yeah, that's true. Now, were there, was there some sibling rivalry or did you uh, get on and support each other as you went through knowing? Because uh, oh, I've, def- I've got a brother too, so I know how that works. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely rivalry. I mean, he and I, we've gotten older and the edges have been knocked off, but we, you know, we get along very well now. Uh, I got up with him. Well, I actually got up with him at Rod Lave, actually, just while we're on the subject about whenever that was a few weeks ago. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I wasn't there. It was beautiful. Like, it's just a really immersive experience and just being inside that tent for a little while and just feeling all that goodwill and Mm. and mutual respect, you know, and, and, and thinking, you know, in that moment, this is what a band is meant to be like. And yeah. Nick, look, yeah, it's true. Like in early on, we did try to form groups together and he just had very strong opinions about what he wanted and, and as did I, and they just did, they didn't dovetail particularly well. And, but, you know, and whether that's because we're brothers, it probably is, you know, but I mean, there's so many complex questions that you we could discuss in regard to that, but, you know, I love him dearly. Yeah. So own up, fess up. Did you ever say, oh, you're just a bass player? I wouldn't dream of doing that. Like, I just, there'd, be, there'd be objects <laughs> flying across the room, you know. <laughs> nice question, but no, I would never do that, no. Now, where did you guys grow up? Uh, well, all over Victoria, really. Um, we, as you pointed mm. out earlier, we, we were both born in Vanilla. Actually, no, my brother right. was born in Corrion, we mo- and we moved very quickly to Corrion. The, the mum and dad were both school teachers, and 
Uh, back in those okay. days, that was kind of the way you in the state system that you you got promotion. <clears throat> so we yeah. were never really in any one town for long. You know, like probably the four years was the, in Beaufort for four years, but um, that's about as long as we ever stayed anywhere. And they say, you know, psychologists say that that it, you know, what the the way you live your early life and childhood, you know, in terms of where you live, that really does affect the choices you make. And Nick and I both ended up traveling, like making our careers out of moving around, which is the nature of um, mm. playing in rock rock bands. But um, that's amazing. It's, it's amazing when you when you look at that analogy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it's true. Like we're both Nick's in Ireland now, and. Um, and if, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got two lovely children. I would imagine that's where he'll spend the rest of his life, you know. But um. Now, I saw that uh, ABC uh, interview that you did. You went to Ireland and spent time with him. Oh, yeah. And, and, you, and, and you saw all the history of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it gave you a whole new depth of songwriting. It was so interesting to, to listen to what you were saying. It was funny. A lot of that went down pre-COVID. Like, I, I, I travelled with my wife through the United States and... yeah on a train of all things and um i did a lot of stuff very quickly and it's just i really just did feel quite connected with um a global view and i think that's kind of and but as i said before it crept up on me mm. um but i my my family's most of my family's um connections are from ireland and and the fact that I was going there to sort of um, bond with my brother, um, it was pretty immersive, you know. And yeah, yeah, we drove around the northwest and um, looked at a lot of these um, really early monolithic ruins that that are there, pre-Christian ruins. Just the landscape is so ancient, and there's so much, mm. just there's so much paraphernalia just littered everywhere. And that's the thing they do in Ireland; they they, they, they don't pick things up. Like the government, there is actually a policy that you do. There are things that you'd leave alone if they find them that are really ancient, because they, they do affect the way you feel. And you stand nearby these places, and you do feel it. And I, and there's a lot we can learn here about that. You know that we, that our history is part of us. That's right. Yeah. Everything's heritage listed. Pretty much. Even houses, you know, stuff that's farmhouses that were abandoned in the mid 19th century you just drive past them in the use on the roads and you go why is that house standing in the middle of that paddock you know mm. like no one's and they look incredible mm. it's and there's just cows and sheep sort of roaming around it and right it's kind of it looks amazing it really affects the way you feel yeah so it was a, really a a very deep emotional experience for you with uh, you and nick in ireland yes right yeah, yeah for sure and uh, it helped you with your songwriting yep Definitely. I mean, I really, I really think that's a big part of the whole process of creativity in song because song mm. singing songs is essentially like powerful songs have to have that element and that enables you to connect with people. And sure. like the, the ones that have just endured over the years, they do have that quality. And how you stumble, I mean, it is a there's a huge amount of intuition involved, I think, and mm. you have to kind of surrender to it. You know, you can sit down there with your chords and, I mean, you've got all the, the musical paraphernalia and, you know, you're equipped with skills, but actually distilling that um, element of uh, surprise and just deep feeling is something else again, you know, but you've got to yeah. be prepared to look for it. That's the, the key, I reckon. You have to be prepared mm. to dig in and dig deep, you know. Tobin Brothers believe every life is unique. Every funeral should be too. 
visit turbanbrothers.com.au. Hi, this is Mark Seymour, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast. I'm speaking with Mark Seymour. Now, Mark, when did you discover music? Um, I have a very early memory of being, you know, told to stand up in front of the fireplace at the age of five and sing Where Is Love from Oliver Twist um, (laughs) to my... To my daunting. aunts and uncles, and then they're all sitting around on the couch going, oh, isn't he lovely? And me sort of squirming yeah. in my communion shirt going, I hate this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like we were really schooled in song. Like my mother made us do it. My yeah. mother made me do it. Well, they were both teachers, you know, so they wanted to give you all the, all the right tools, I suppose, to uh, carry on in life. Absolutely, and I don't, I don't regret it at all, really. But you know, when you're a little boy and you want to go out and play footy, it's like it's not quite what you imagine. But anyway, yeah, that's how true. Yeah. So, when did you uh, pick up your first guitar and started? You know, those guitar lessons on the steel strings. Well, actually, they were nylon, and we're classic. We all bought these little oh. from Allen's Music. Um, we all got them at some point in in our early teens, and various you know various family members picked up them up and put them down. But I I remember. First time I actually held a guitar, I just I really did feel something. I was the guitar is my natural instrument, I think, because I it think certainly the, is the beauty of it is you can pick it up, pick a guitar up. It's very portable, and you can immediately start singing. You know, and I yeah. think the, the idea of learning chords in order to facilitate that, and it is you know very friendly to the process of mm. writing songs. So yeah, I have the utmost respect for all musos. Uh, because I picked up the bass guitar when I was, you know, seventeen, and and realised the lead singers get all the girls, but uh, I, I just, I, I just, I just couldn't get my head around it. But uh, what was what was your journey to, uh, you know, from from those early years learning your instrument, learning learning music, and all of that? What was the journey from there to hunters and collectors? The thing is, I did actually abandon music for a long time, like throughout uni. I didn't really enjoy uni much. I left, you know, went through year 12, got into a good university and mm. starting to be a teacher. But I, I met these guys in college who, um, one particular guy, the bass player, John Archer, who he struck, he's incredibly eccentric and smart. And he ended up playing bass, of course. But um, he was very proactive and we, we put together these cover bands. And I was allocated, it was a group called the Schnorts. For God knows. Oh, God, great name! Good. Isn't that a good name? <laughs> the Which, yeah, very perverse. It was his his idea, ah. but um, but quite amusing. And we used to play these um these little gigs in you know Sunday sessions in pubs in Carlton. Okay, everyone had a song, so you, it was just like a six piece band, and everyone got allocated a song. Okay, and or a couple of songs. And I my one of mine was Twist and Shout, and I really wanted to sing Twist and Shout. And I remember um. It's really high D major. And I remember when my turn came around to sing, I mean, it was really, you know, very homespun, you know. Mm. I remember thinking it, there was a scream in that song, you know, the way Paul McCartney kind of yes. yeah. kind of lost his, <laughs> kind of almost lost it, you know. Mm. That's the beauty of that song. And I really love the idea of just being right on the edge. And I, ne- I remember the first time I did it in public and there was, you know, a bunch of people and it was a very small pub and – um. I remember thinking, oh, I'm really liking this. This is that like this switch, a light that went on, mm. you know. Mm. Sort of, I was in fourth year uni. I thought, oh, this is what I want to do, you know. Yeah, so I mean, it was very random, really. But I think that's kind of the thing about making 
career choices, you know. I think they kind of come at us quite accidentally. You know, you sort of discover you're doing something and you realise at that age in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an enormous amount of risk in it. You know, you might be wrong, but I think kids when they're 18, 23, 24, in that period, you're kind of looking around to find something to do, you know. Well, you took a great risk because you were a teacher and you could teach anywhere, thanks, Mum and Dad, uh, and you went, only did that for a little while and then you went fully professional musician. That's a big step. Yeah, you're right. But I, as I said, kids do that, you know, and it's funny, I'm watching my daughters who are mm. around that mm. age now and they're sort of kind of doing a similar thing, you know. And, That's cool. and I just say to my youngest one, I say, look, you know, you're going you're gonna to stumble on it. It will happen. You'll just realise, oh, I'm doing what I really want to do. You just, mm, and it's mm. in a, it can be really quite momentary. Yeah. But I mean, teaching wasn't for me. I did actually do it for a little while, but I just thought, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. And you know, I'd already had this other experience, and thought, you know, I want to make that happen. Mm. That'll be that'll be what I'll do. You know, and I went back to it. You know? Well, what a journey with Hudson Collectors. Seventeen years. Nine studio albums, three live albums, seven compilation albums and 33 singles. Great hits like Throw Your Arms Around Me, Do You See What I See, When the Rivers Run Dry and Holy Grail. You know, it's a fantastic body of work. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> and a well, lot of hard work, I should thing. imagine. Look, we, we had massive output. Mm. You know, that's a real... I think the thing that set Hunters and Collectors apart was... Apart from the fact that it was just a very good live band, I mean, I think really at the bo- the end of mm. the day, that's kind of what held it together. It was a really exciting live act, you know. Absolutely, they were. Um, yeah. But the and but the but the whole create the songwriting process the, that was very mercurial, and the, we really did actually create a gro- a very big body of work without really being aware of it, and mm. you mm. find a lot of the, a lot of the other groups from that era had their heyday over a much shorter period of time, like Aussie bands, and they would have two or three really, really big records and then kind yeah. of good night. Um, yeah. Good night, yep. Vienna, you know. Um, but we kind of kept going and there was a big, a long lead time and we really didn't hit our straps until 89, 90, and we'd kind of gone through the 80s. I mean, people, it's funny, we we're often regarded as an 80s band, but, Actually, it's not strictly true. I mean, we're quite independent and indie sort of alternative mm. right for many of those early years and not many people really knew about us until mm. it really kind of blew blew off, you know, in the early 90s really with um, mm. the second commercial album. So what's uh, Mark Seymour's writing process? How do you write a song? What do you do? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? That's a really good question. You know, I just, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I find like I'm in the, I'm in the bit guts of it right now, you know, and I find I have to kind of commit myself to stories, you know, and I can just sort of be nibbling at guitar chords and I, it's always on the couch, you know, it's just the guitars mm. there and, and, and a little recording device and note. Just a riff, just to expand, expand on a riff. To up to a point, but, then I have to sort of go, you know, you're really not betting anything down until you've got the words, there's a story emerging, you know, and then mm-hmm. how do I actually, what am I trying to say? Yeah. You know, what is it, what is I'm trying to tell you, whoever, you know, yeah. I've got to have something to say. If I don't have that, nothing, you, even though you know, ultimately it's something that you're going to actually perform and sing, 
the thing is, until you've got to the point where you actually have some, you know you've got something to say that you think someone else is going to be interested in hearing, then it's not going to, it just will not bear, you, you know, it won't hold ground and you go, it just drifts away and you forget about it. And then you come mm. back a couple of days later and, and then eventually you go, you know what, I've really got to commit myself to this. And it, words are the thing that does that. You know? Right. Okay. For any budding songwriters that were thinking about it, you've got to get the words right. You know? Well, it's it's similar to Bernie Taupin and Elton John, isn't it? With Bernie oh, being yeah. the lyrics and Elton just comes That's, along and orchestrates it. You know? Bernie Taupin is an absolute genius. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark Seymour solo. How did that happen? Uh, again, accident. I mean, my manager, Michael Roberts, said to me one day, um, have you thought about making a solo record? And I, <laughs> when was it? 1995 or something. And I went, no. You know, <laughs> I'm in the band. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't see any reason. I mean, the band, Hunters were kind of, it was, you know, a prolonged sabbatical. I mean, we just weren't doing anything. And we were kind of, mm. we'd sort of reached a point where things were rolling off. I mean, the live thing was still going well, but um, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm to make new records. Right. I mean, you could just feel it, you know. Yeah. And we'd been at it for a very long time. You know, I just sort of dipped my toe in the water. But I really, you know, it took me several years before I kind of, it's pretty hard to shake off a band that that's that immersive, you know, like just in mm, terms of you, mm. how you walk on stage and how you present yourself to people in, in pubs. And really it was, you know, it was Groundhog Day. You know, I really went, right, okay. I walked, I remember I used to play in a little wine bar in, in, um, North Melbourne, of all, just out opposite the markets there, and mm-hmm. you know, it'd be like fifty people, and I, I did that for a long time. You know, it was just very, very starting again. Like even the whole idea of who's Mark Seymour, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's kind of how it's been. You know, like in the, at the last two to three years, I reckon it's just been a long process. But I, the thing for me is that I can't not do with this. You know, and once I'd sort of re- reconciled myself with the fact this is what I was meant to do, mm. things got a lot clearer because I, I kind of had to be really honest with myself and the songwriting improved as a consequence, you know. And like in the last, probably in the last decade, I think my work's really hit, I've really hit my straps as an mm. artist. Mm. The thing that really touches me is just how generous people are. And I often say to my friends, you know, like I really don't care where I play, you know. I mean, I, I I just really love being on stage, and it's you know it's what I was meant to do. Well, that uh, I I saw it again last night, and I've loved it ever since I first uh, heard it. April Sun in Cuba, that uh, that uh, duet you do with James Lane yeah, yeah. back in two thousand five. I mean, how good was that? Yeah. Well, again, I, I, I yeah, that was a, yeah. James threw that song at me. Really cool move. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I'll oh, say. people people just love that song. It's just it's really endured. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, your solo career now has ten solo albums, three live albums, one compilation album, and ten singles. You almost mirror imaging hunters and collectors by yourself. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just rolled out. You know, I've just kept going. Really, yeah. that's essentially yeah. what that's about. Yeah. It's you know, there's a there's a willingness to accept what I do, and you know, I've you know just in the last you know last couple of weekends you know we've been we're traveling with the red hot summer tour and um it, how good's that oh it's fantastic just a huge experience yeah. you know and it, it, mm. just the, the just the 
generosity of the audiences. People are really really enjoy that tour, and it's just you know, he, you know, Dwayne's just kept rolling that tour out over the last decade, and it just keeps getting bigger. It's a really big ticket, you know. It's really good to be part of it. The thing I like about Dwayne is that he's loyal. Yeah, you know, he's one of the he's one of the best blokes in the industry, and he's doing so much good stuff. Well, it's int- I love he, him. You know, he does remind me of Michael Gadinsky, you know, in a really odd way. He's yeah. very, very, he's everywhere mm-hmm. and he's incredibly emotional. <laughs> you know, he's like this kid. Yeah. And he's really, he's got a lot of, like, a huge heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, you know, it's a pleasure to work with him for sure. You know, now in 2001, One Eyed Man won the Best Adult uh, Contemporary Album at the Arias and you were nominated four other times. And then in 2008, you uh, wrote a memoir. Now, I love the title of it, uh, 13-Ton Theory. Uh, could you just explain that yeah. for me, please? <laughs> well, you know, that, that bloke, John Archer, that I mentioned earlier, um, the bass player, he was, mm-hmm. he, he was the guy in the beginning of the whole thing that he inspired me. Like, he just had this sort of very perverse way of an, uh, concocting these ideas that were – there was a – element of bs in them you know like they just come up with this sort of scenario as to explaining th- how things work from an engineering perspective and he had and, and you'd always just go oh yeah sure man you know like <laughs> ridiculous tall stories about how things dovetail together he had this whole idea that the optimum size truck that you required if you could fill a truck with gear you know pa mm, and, mm. and 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 the 13 tons was the the, the benchmark of success <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it. In terms I, of it. Like, I got it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bump, you know, if you had 13 tons of gear and you were actually going out and driving it around the country, then you were okay. And, uh, and yes. I always found that really preposterous. You know, it's a completely mm. crazy yeah. idea. I mean, how, yeah. well, how does that even work? But and, you know, it's in a really true, weird way, probably that true. Band, well, up to a point, it sort of is. I mean, if you've yeah. actually got to a point where you're carrying that much gear and people are turning, but the thing is, it doesn't mean people are going to turn up, obviously. But, um, mm. but, I kind of liked the way he thought. It was like it completely flipped on its head, the whole idea of what success, how you symbolise success. And mm. and that became the, I thought, that's a great title for the record, you know, because it really yeah. does say something about hunters and collectors, you know. So it was basically written about your experience uh, with the hunters, right? Pretty much. That's it. You know, how I got into it and yeah. how I left. And um, just, I tried, what I tried to do is bookend the, the story about, you know, the band sort of like it starts with this idea that, you know, I'm wandering around the aisles of one faggy um, supermarket <laughs> and and this little girl comes up to me and says, are you the guy that sings the – you're the guy that – you sing the Holy Grail. And there's this tradey father pushing her at, <laughs> pushing it at the checkout. And I yeah. turn to her and I say, oh, yeah. And she goes, did you sing it yesterday? <laughs> and then there's this bloke standing behind her with this big grin on his face. And I thought, and this is years later, you know, yeah, and I'm yeah. going, how did this even happen? You know, it's just this weird out-of-body question of, God, that, I haven't played with a band for, I mean, I didn't, I'm not quite sure how I expressed it in the book, but that's how it sort of starts, this idea mm. of recollecting this period of time in my life and how it kind of, I, I sort of stumbled into it and then came out the other end. And, right. Um not really sure it begins with a question and it sort of ends with a question as well because i you know it's that's the thing about playing music six in professional writing original music and writing it and making a living out of it it's there's just a huge amount of luck involved you know any song can be played at a funeral what would you like visit tobinbrothers.com.au
Hi, this is Mark Seymour, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast. Mark Seymour, how many how many songs have you written so far over your journey? Approximately, because there's so many. Oh, 352. Oh, that's a good APRA check. <laughs> or AMPOS check. <laughs> that'll, that'll go. Uh, people will be going 352. It'll suddenly turn into, and then there'll be people counting. <laughs> <laughs> you know. People will start counting. I'm guaranteed. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, there's probably a hundred of them. You know, that are that are hugely successful, and the rest of them are, you know, coming up behind them. But they're <laughs> all your babies, and they're all each one is important. And and your next song yeah, is a, the most exciting song. Big brood to take care of and herd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, let's get to Mark Seymour and the Undertow. How did you come up with Undertow? Uh, well, it's surfing, basically, at Gunnamatta Beach, which, uh, you know, you get about 150 metres off the shore, off the sand, and, and you, can, you can't keep still. And I was out there floating around, you know, in, in mid-winter. I used, I used to go down there in the mid-winter, if you can believe that. Right. And, I mean, the swells are massive at that point yeah, of the year. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it's a very, very violent, dynamic body of water. And, you know, you've got Cape Shank down there just to the, to the um, south East mm. and then ports you at the other end, and there's this just dynamic water hitting the beach, and you're kind of floating on the water, and there's all this movement underneath you, and you can't start. You have to constantly stay in position. You have to be moving all the time. And I just had this little poetic moment where I just thought that's kind of like what a band's like. Mm. It just sort of floats, it's moving around you all the time, and there's this constant grappling with human interaction. And um, I oh know it's I'm stretching it a bit, but no, I think it's I the think force it's great. of it. You know, I, just, I think the power of that um, idea yeah. of, uh, sort of grabbed me. And um, I ended up writing a song about it, actually, but um, I haven't recorded right. it. And I thought it's a great well, name for a band. Yeah. You know? Well, beware the demon rum. Now, <laughs> one of the greatest lines I have heard, and I love you for doing it, time is your one true master. Well, everything, time resolves, it, it either resolves things or it, or it, keeps them suspended in um and and you know it's, it's just your issues how you feel you know and in the end it just it does define everything in the end because we all have to come to re be reconciled with it one way or another slow dawn rising and falling over me great album now that tree on the album where is that tree that's a spectacular shot okay so there's this dude named chris pierce he's a he's a photographer from Geelong. Uh-huh. He's a landscape photographer. And I was steered to him by Cameron McKenzie, our guitar player, who's his mate. Gotcha. And went to his website and just started looking at what he had on offer. And I got on the phone to him and we sat down and chatted about it. And that tree is just it's somewhere near Bannockburn in Western Victoria on a on the side of a road. And he'd go out there and just sit in the grass and wait for cars to turn this corner in the middle of just sort of it's just you know grazing land and um wait for the lights headlights to flash on the trunk of the tree and then snap you know with long exposure long time exposure and he's got a bunch of them mm. you know like I, just, I looked at hundreds of those trees you know like and then got that one you know so um okay but it's just really it's it's a very strong yeah. iconic image of old australia you know, and the fact that it's kind of ghostly yeah. and it's just hanging there in the in the scrub, it's just you. We look, we see images like that 
as traveling traveling Australians, we see the, those images mm, all the time, mm. and we kind of don't. They just go by us, you know. But they do affect. It's again, it's it's like that question you asked me about Ireland. You know that we're we're really affected by our yeah the landscape we move through, and um, and that just really. I thought it symbolised a lot about what the record is trying to say. Yeah. 11 great tracks on that album, which is out now. If you go to uh, markseymour.com.au, you can pick yourself up a copy of one of the best albums I've heard in a long time. 11 great tracks, but 11 great songs, uh, all original, beautifully recorded. And uh, I just love the album. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you, Gavin. Appreciate it. Now, let's get to the uh, 2023 uh, Touring Red Hot Summer shows all around Oz. And you're, if you look on your website, you are you are kind of booked, my man, right up to October 28th, Saturday, October 28th, when you're doing a show at Mimo Music Hall. Yeah, well... It's, it's a full year for you. It's great. Mam- it's it's a mammoth year for us. We've worked solid. I mean, you know, it's, it's bread and butter at, on one level, yeah. but, you know, having come out of... Those two COVID. years of, of yeah. just not being able to perform, um, there's just an atmosphere. Like on the road at the moment, the punters are just, they're so appreciative, you know. It's really yeah, quite. Oh, it's good. It's good to be out. Oh, yeah. But punters are like, the audiences are the same. You know, we're, there's just an atmosphere. There's a real feeling of celebration. You know, you walk out on stage. I've been mm. watching all the other bands as well, you know, hanging around watching. And there's a real feeling of this is just fantastic, you know. And, and punters, are, you can see it on their faces. Yeah, you know, people yeah. are just smiling. Everyone's smiling. You know, and you go, oh, yeah. I just haven't come across that for so long. You know, and I think it's just we just everyone's. There's a real sense that people are really appreciating what they've got. You know, because when it's not there, you really notice it. I mean, that that period of time and going through all those lockdowns and just it was very difficult. You know, how did you cope personally during those two years? What did you do? I went and swam in the bay. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. It's one place you could go and then just you walk down to the sand in your mask and then just jump into the cold water. I did that a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of exercise, basically. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. You're, you're probably the fittest guy on tour. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Well, you can uh, check the websites for bookings and tour dates and you can even buy tickets on the website. It's, it's all there. Now, um, I've got to ask you about this. The dogs of Williamstown. Uh, do you have oh, trouble yeah. sleeping at night or what? What, what, was, <laughs> what was the uh, genesis of that song? Well, there is, there is a, um, the dogs of Williamstown. Oh, we do that. That's in the set at the moment. It's just a roar. You know, people, it's big yeah. harmonies. And, but it's, 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 um, there is this story about, which is mixed metaphor about the little, t- the little suburb down, well, it was a little town back in the 19th century, but down on the western shores of the Yarra, right at the mouth of the Yarra. And um, hmm. Hmm. the city of Melbourne, and apparently this is what used to happen in these old Victorian cities, there'd be a lot of stray dogs, right, and they'd clear them out on the trains. And someone's actually pointed this out to me, but there's a legend now that you can hear dogs barking hmm. on down on the sand of Williamstown at sometime in the early hours of the morning, and they aren't actually there, you know. Oh, Oh, that's fabulous. I love it. But, but that's what they used to do. They used to transport stray dogs out into the edges of the city. And that, like in those days, that was kind of like an, the edge of the city and just to clear the central part of the city out of dogs. And they put them on the trains and the trains would go out to the you know, peripheral suburbs and they just let them out. Right. 
you know, and that's also where the the last of the convicts, Australian convicts, were kept. They brought them into mine bluestone, mm. um, and they'd be on. They were in hulks off off on off the beach. They they kept those hulks alive right to the end, and then you know there was there was it all went it didn't end well. Mm. Um, no. And there's there's all these stories around that area about those um, those years in the eighteen fifties, right? Um, when Melbourne was building all those bluestone buildings, and that's where they were getting it from. Wow! Now the whole world is dreaming. Do you believe that? Yeah, I wrote that for a play just, you know, in the year, about a year before the, before COVID arrived. Hmm. It's a lullaby written for a play called Lamb that was on at the Red Stitch Theatre. And um, and I was just recollecting childhood, really, you know, like a childhood, child's bedroom in out in the, some okay. little cottage that we were living in when I we was a tiny little boy and looking out the window at the stars. And, and I, I wanted to write a lullaby. I wanted to write a song that my a mother or a father could sing to their children because that's what we got when we were little children, mum and dad sang to us. And I just think that's a really – I'd never never done yeah. that before. Like I'd never written a song like that. And it came back, you, you know, I thought someone said to me, it's a bit like Three Arms Around Me, someone said, you know, that's a really good song, don't you? And I said, oh, yeah, okay, you should record it. And – and that's how it ended up on the record, like, you know, a right. couple of years later. Uh-huh. Now, if you go to markseymour.com.au, you can also subscribe to Garage Slam. Quite an unusual name, bit catchy. Tell me all about that. Well, I started writing those stories under lockdown. And I just, the idea, because I was in the garage, that's where the, where the, where the computer was. Ah, okay. That was, that was just a collection of stories I was, you know, I was writing because I, what you know something to do god you know stuck at home um and they're just anecdotes really they're just descriptions of mm. my just my yeah. feelings opinions you know about life and how it's treating me and treating other people um yeah and they're, they're ongoing i'm still doing right. it it's like i'm rolling them out and you update all yeah. your tour dates and all of that in there as well can't you you know if you subscribe you get a, a monthly uh, email or a fortnightly email with all the up uh, up-to-date uh, tour dates correct Correct. That's exactly right. Yes, for sure. Well, Mark Seymour, I think you're done. <laughs> <laughs> done for today. Now, uh, Thanks, I've, got, I've got to thank you. I've got a few questions without notice. I hope you don't mind. You've got an extra couple of minutes? Yeah, sure. Go. First question, who inspired you to make music? Uh, probably Van Morrison. Good Irish lad. And my mother. And my mother. <laughs> and mum, yeah. What have you learnt over your musical journey? Time is your one true master. <laughs> Very true. Glad I said that. Glad you yeah. reminded me. What was the effect of Countdown to your career? Oh. <laughs> it probably helped me learn how to perform, hmm. watching other people do it. Okay. If you could open up a show for any artist, who would it be? Bruce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, what, what a show he puts on, man. Oh my God! It's, and mate, it's massive. And mate, you know you're there too. You know, I'm, I mean, I'd hate to say you're the Australian Bruce, or make you know, my God, or, God. Or, or make yeah, or make comparisons. No, but make comparisons. I mean, it's there. You can see it. Now let's move on. Right. Name three dinner guests, dead or alive. Who I'd like to have? Yeah. Paul Keating. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, sorry, the conversation. Oh, great mind. Amazing. Great mind. Um, my, my father, I think my father would be interesting, and and um, and my second daughter, 
Hannah. That would be hilarious. She's very funny. Oh, cool. Now, what's your favourite song to perform? Right now, it's probably The Dogs of Williamstown. But but I think Throw Your Arms Around Me kind of eclipses everything in the end because it's so oh. – the fact that I can just yeah. turn it on and it just works. I mean, I, I can't not play because it's just a – it's just – it's kind of strange, weird. It's, it screams Mark Seymour, come on. Yeah, well, it's the fact that it just works and it just keeps going. It's like I, I just have to play it, really. Yeah. What's the most trouble you've ever gotten into? Um, <laughs> I was always a really good boy, but... Um, good answer. We'll move on. <laughs> oh, there's things I couldn't, I couldn't share, seriously. That, well, that's what I thought. That's why we're moving on. Now, <laughs> if, you, if you could change anything about the music industry, what would you do? I just I, look. I think I know it's pretty earnest, but I, I I just think there needs to be some regulation about how um, um, crew are paid. You know, there's some kind of safety net, some sort of job job security for crew. I think it's the, it's a howling issue. Mm. You know, because it's really precarious for a lot of guys and girls too. Um, I'm not quite yeah. sure how that can work. I mean, it, it, the industry's sort of grappling with it now, but yeah. but yeah, in the music industry for for um for crew over the years, right. What's the best show that you've ever done? Probably um, Sound Relief with Hunters and Collectors in 2008, I think it was, or 2007, at the MCG. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was an incredible feeling, a huge show. It was about 80,000 people and the atmosphere was electric, Mm -hmm. you know. Final question, Mark Seymour. What have you learnt and what would you pass on to a young, hopeful musician? Oh, you've just got to have self-belief. You've really got to believe in yourself. Um, and you've got to keep reminding yourself of it, that it's worth, that you're good. Tell yourself you're good, you know, regardless of what people are saying around you. You know, if you have a strong feeling about your own capacity, hold on to it and just remind yourself every day. That's the most important thing, I think. And remember, time is your one true master. Correct. Mark Seymour, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat. Thank you for taking the time. Good on you, Gavin. This podcast brought to you thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year.